And this section, last week and the next two sections or two weeks that we look at uh, the woe passages, um, they are all about, they're all about Jesus uh, bringing uh, this declaration of who the scribes and the Pharisees were. In our world today, one of the, the worst things that you can do in culture is to judge someone. To judge someone. It's, it's like uh, the thing that Americans hate most. It, it seems that, uh, that, that to be someone who points out and says that's not right uh, is, is like the worst sin you can do in our world today. Uh, you get labeled a hater uh, when you call out things that are wrong. And bring down judgments. And, and as we look at this this morning, um, people would say you, you can't do that. You, you can't point to someone else and say what's right and wrong for them. And, and I want to point out a few distinct things even before we get rolling. This is leadership. This is passages talking about spiritual leadership. I, I want to make that distinction too. It's spiritual leadership. Um, I realize that some of these principles could go to leaders in our world today, but it's really a lost cause uh, to talk about leaders, ungodly leaders. They have no hope. They have no uh, guard. They, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So to expect that they would uh, somehow match up to the scriptures and what Christ is saying uh, is naive and um, delusional on our part as we look to the future. It's not going to happen. Um, in fact, but, but people would say you can't do that. You can't say anything. And I, I want to say this. Probably that's true. Uh, that we can't look at one another's lives and really accurately, accurately uh, see it for what it is. And so uh, this morning as we look at this, I want to make this one point before we get there is that this is not me or you looking at leadership, or this is not me or you looking at the scribes and the Pharisees and saying they're wrong. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. The King of Kings. The new King. It's His kingdom we're talking about here. And as He brings what uh, He's going to bring for us this morning, I want you to know, well, first of all, that He's right. He's right. He's accurate. Um, and as he brings us, he has both authority uh, and the understanding uh, to say these things. I want to say this too. Um, leadership matters. Spiritual leadership matters. Um, and it matters for the church because as the leadership goes, so will the church. And it, it matters in the home as well. Uh, as, as the father goes, so will the family. Uh, if your family's a mess, men, I don't want to quote from the great theologian Michael Jackson, the man in the mirror, right? Uh, if you're struggling mom, if you're struggling mom and you say, my, my kids are a disaster and they're, they're struggling with these things, I, I want to say, consider Consider the role you play. As we look at these things, I realize that uh, 
This is what brings the gravity to the situation as we realize it's easier to criticize leaders than to realize our role in those and to say, where, where do I fit in this? Where do I fit? What is the implications of my life? How is that uh, going down to the ones that I am leading? And so I'm with you this morning uh, as we consider this passage. Uh, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, chapter 23, uh, starting at verse 13. God's word says this, um, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has been made, has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. God, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. We ask that you'd make this time profitable. God, thank you uh, for the gift of your son, the relationship we can have with you through him. That's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We begin uh, a list of seven or eight, depending on how we break them up, uh, of woes, of woes. Now, uh, we live in a horse community, and so the idea of woe uh, means a lot of different things, a lot of different things. Uh, I, I want to tell you that uh, this, this idea of woe, um, as we look at this passage, it's, it's difficult to nail down. It's uh, used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in a certain way, and then in the New Testament in various passages, a uh, little bit different ways. But the idea is uh, a declaration of punishment, of, of like, this is a bad thing for you. It's the idea of pity, um, knowing the situation that you are in and what is coming down upon you. There's pity involved in it as well. But it's also not just the idea of that, but it's the idea of also of cursing. Not, not in the sense of saying, uh, I am somehow cursing you because I don't like you, but it, it's the corresponding word to blessings 
uh, in the New Testament. As you look even earlier in the book of Matthew in the Beatitudes, blessed is the man. It's the idea of this is the way of life for you. This is the good place for you to be. But now, as we say woe, and it identifies a particular thing, this is the way of cursing for you. This is the way of bad times. And yet, even in, in the midst of using this word Jesus, it, there's also a sense of compassion to it as well. That this is not necessarily the end of the story, but it's like, now, right now, for you, for you to hear this, this idea that uh, cursing is the way that uh, cursing is the way of your life right now, but it is a good thing for you. It's a it's a hand of compassion saying, stop, turn around, go the other way, repent. And so, as we look at this this morning, uh, we we realize that Jesus is sharing a very negative message, a very negative one, but it is not one that is hateful uh, like many today. Uh, He is identifying the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He's identifying them as being in an awful place. He's declaring it so. Um, I want to say this too. As we've gone through the study of the book of Matthew, uh, this represents a turn that this whole chapter represents a turn uh, Jesus teaching is kind of him presenting the truth him presenting the truth and it uh, it it subtly as the Pharisees and and their teaching is around it's different than who the Pharisees are and their teaching and so uh, anyone with a brain as you go through this you go oh that's different it's not the same uh, so if this is the truth, the Pharisees are teaching a lie. They, they'd be able to see that because they're side by side. Now, I, I want to represent this turn, is that Jesus is not just laying them down side by side. He's not expressing a different teaching. He's turning towards the people, the people, the Pharisees, these religious leaders. He's turning to them and he's saying, this is wrong with you. This is wrong with you. Um, that makes us uncomfortable. Uh, have you had someone uh, square up to you, point to you and say, you're wrong, you're wrong. Boy, that's pretty direct, right? Uh, it's important though. And as we look at this, you, you need to know this. Jesus is the one with authority to do so. In the Pharisees' lives, and in our lives as well. It's okay. It's good. It's compassionate. When he shows us we're wrong, it's good to know you're wrong. You know when? When you're wrong. It's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for me to know that I'm wrong. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I like when people are cheering and saying, do it again, do it again. But but for us to know this, that uh, it's good for us as Jesus, as he, as he speaks through his word to us now, he says, hey, you're wrong. Stop doing what you're doing. It's bad for you. So as we look to God's word, uh, we understand this idea of woe is this idea of punishment, pity, cursing, compassion, and a declaration of what they are doing, uh, that it is wrong. It is wrong. 
He uses another word before we get into it. Uh, he uses the term hypocrite, hypocrite. And that's kind of, uh, uh, you know, if you talk to someone and they say, well, I went to church one time. I went to church. I grew up in the church. But I realized that there's just a bunch of hypocrites there. And, and that's kind of a common, you know, cop out. They don't need to go to church. They don't need to be involved in the things of the Lord because they're all hypocrites. Um, this particular word, I think it's interesting. He points not to the common people, but to the leadership, to leadership. And this idea of this word hypocrite, not necessarily what uh, we're using today. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. But it's the idea of pretend goodness, pretend goodness. It's the idea that uh, you're pretending to be someone uh, by your actions. You're leading people astray in who you truly are. Um, we, we realize, I hope we realize here, I hope we realize it often, I hope we realize it maybe even hourly, that pretending to be good is a joke, is a joke. Because it means that we're living in front of people, not in front of God. Can you pretend before God who sees all? Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted to play hide and seek, right? They were trying to hide from God, and it didn't work. Why? Because he sees all. He's not, uh, he, he's not protected from a view uh, because of clothing or pretense or, or some kind of display of outward goodness. He's not pre- he, he doesn't fall for that. Uh, that it, the, the idea of being someone who's a pretender uh, is a, a futile thing because God sees. We can fool one another. We can fool one another. Um, as we look at this this morning, the, the first woe I'd like to get into is verse 13, and this is ignoring eternity, ignoring eternity. Verse 13 says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow them who would enter it to go in. They shut them out of the kingdom. It's this idea that the the door is slammed shut in their face and it's locked. You cannot enter. You cannot enter. Uh, It was interesting that the Pharisees, and much like many false religions today, there's some man that you've got to get through. There's some hierarchy of spiritual leadership that says that you can go or you can't go. there's some way that you can enter or not enter. And, and it's somehow a man that says whether you're good enough puts the seal of approval on, on you. You have to pass through the gate and somehow there's a gatekeeper. The Pharisees, the, the scribes, they saw themselves as those gatekeepers. They, they were the ones who decided uh, whether you could enter or not. As you look at this, you, you realize that it wasn't just that they were these gatekeepers, but Jesus says, For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. Boy, that's, that's something, isn't it? That they would not enter in. That they would not enter in. Uh, we, the choir sang for us, Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Uh, 
the, the song's beautiful in that it's a beautiful, simple song that talks about riches. It talks about things that this life can offer. It talks about prestige and houses. And it's this idea that what is it that is better than Jesus? And I want to tell you, the Pharisees thought they had found it in their position. And if you could picture the, the teaching of the book of Matthew thus far, is the Pharisees watched Jesus' miracles. They heard his teaching. They heard John the Baptist, and then they heard him. And, and the, the same offer was to them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was this extension at hand. You can come out of that to this. Jesus says, I got a different way, a better way. And what did they do? They said, no thanks. I'll stay where I am. I'll fight for what I've set up. And, and if I can say it this way, uh, they said, don't give me Jesus. Don't give me Jesus. I, I don't want Jesus. I don't want Jesus. And so they were not just deciding who could go to heaven for the Jews themselves, but they were also rejecting the Messiah themselves. They were the ones saying, I don't want heaven. I like what I've got set up down here. And I want to tell you, uh, that's a danger for leaders. That's a danger for leaders. Uh, that's a danger, moms. That's a danger, moms. That's the attitude of your heart. I, I, don't, I don't want Jesus. I like what I got down here. I like what I'm setting up. Why is that a danger? It's a danger for moms. But it's also a danger for kids who are watching moms. It's a danger for dads. If you're looking around and you're collecting your stuff and you're, you're collecting your accomplishments, you're collecting uh, things that you want, you're setting up life the way you want it, and it's a danger for you. Why is it a danger? Because it's not worth it what you're setting up. And it's not just a danger for you, it's a danger for your family. Because they're watching you and they go, oh, this is the way we do things. Because this is the way dad did them. I don't know how many times I've heard uh, grown men, grown women, Say, my dad was. And they, they list something out. And what they're saying is, I do what I do now because my dad did this growing up. It's important. And so this woe that comes to these hypocritical Pharisees, scribes, these religious leaders, what, what, what is it? They ignored eternity. They looked at the offer of the kingdom of heaven. The door was flung open and they say, we don't want Jesus. We don't want Jesus. Or even better, we don't need Jesus. And they didn't need Jesus because they thought they had it taken care of on their own. And I ask you the simple question. Can you take care of your sins on your own? Every one of them. Every one of them. You say, well, I haven't sinned that much. Get a better calculator. <laughs> Can you take care of your sins? Because if you can't take care of your sins, there's no way that that door of heaven can be open to you. The Pharisees rejected heaven, the offer of heaven themselves, and they shut others out. 
And Jesus looks at this. And as he's listing out their fatal flaws, if you will, guess what? This is number one. That they had rejected or ignored the offer of eternity. They ignored the offer of eternity. So they shut out others, um, and they shut out, uh, they rejected it themselves. They uh, were pretend doorkeepers. They thought they had a great post, and yet uh, they didn't, they, they were wrong in that. So we go on to number two, skipping down to verse 15. God's word says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Uh, the Jews loved uh, the idea, not so much the practice, but the idea of those coming uh, to the Messiah, coming to their way of thinking, to follow and become a Jew, a Gentile that they would reject their Gentile ways and become a Jew. They really didn't like the practice of it, and I, I would point to the book of Jonah. If you know the story of Jonah, uh, he, he says, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll be a mouthpiece for God. Oh, except Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'll go the other way. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Um, I haven't been to Nineveh, Mosul, but I haven't been there. But, uh, I, you know, he didn't want to go there. So much so that he was... Uh, uh, running from God. And that was kind of the attitude. It would be great if, but not so much. But, but the idea that they would take great pains for missions endeavor, that they would go and they would travel and they would say, this is so important to get this message out to this one person, this one person. If this one person will uh, repent and change and become like us, be a proselyte, change their ways, and abandon that life to come uh, and be like us. As uh, we look at this, Jesus, as he's uh, sharing these woes, he, he brings the second one and this idea of rejecting the Messiah. Rejecting the Messiah. And I, you say, well, how do you get there? Well, it's simple. If the message is wrong, if the message is wrong, and you go and share a message. So what was the Pharisees' message? Be like us. Be rule followers. We'll give you all these things you got to do. you got to start looking like us. You start like giving like us. You have to do these things. And when you do these things, you become one of us. You've changed. You've been changed. And so as, as they do this, they bring this one. If it's just a single one. There's great rejoicing and the single one has changed. The problem is this. If they believe in the wrong message, what happens to that one that has abandoned their ways? Well, what often happens to someone who buys in as a first generation to a new message, they're zealous. They're zealous. They're excited. Hey, I, I, I heard this message. It was revolutionary to me, and I've changed. And now they become this zealous person who goes out wanting others to do and wanting and, and going to zealous extremes to do this. And what happens? If it's the wrong message, 
if it's the wrong message, it's doubly bad. And that's the point here. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. A message of death accepted with zeal is double, it's double death. It's, it's the idea, it's, it's awful. And this morning, as we consider Jesus' words, we stop and we just take a time out and we go, what is our message? If our message is something other, it's something other than Jesus being the only answer to our sin problem. If, if our message is something other that He's the one who changes our lives, if our message is something different or has goals that are like, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to get nice people, nice people. If you become a Christian, you become a nice person. Uh, your kid problems will go away. Your marriage problems will go away. Your financial problems will go away. Hey, we just want you to be a better person. I want to tell you, that's not the gospel. It's not. It's a byproduct, right? The gospel says it takes weak people, lost in sin, dead in their sins, and makes them alive with Christ. Makes them alive with Christ. It's, it's, it's the only, it's the only, it's a core to our message. And if we have some other message, if we have some other idea, the Pharisees' idea is, hey, follow these rules. You'll, you'll get a better life. You'll, you'll become like one of us. Jesus says, whoa. What do what you, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. You, you'll travel and you'll go and you'll go even to great lengths for that one proselyte. And as they turn from their ways, because it's the wrong message, the wrong message for you, and now the wrong message for you. Double, doubly bad for them. Woe to you. And I'd say it this way, for rejecting the Messiah. For rejecting the Messiah. And the way to reject the Messiah is to have some other gospel. Some other gospel. Some other way. To walk with Jesus is not just another self-help thing for this life. To walk with Jesus isn't just so you could escape and uh, the bad things of this life and that you could live a better life than the person next door to you. We must embrace the Messiah. The third one, and, and this is where we will end this morning, the, this last one that we have uh, for us and then we'll pick up the, the next one in a couple of weeks as we look down at verse 16 God's word says this woe to you blind guides it's different isn't it uh, uh, he, he had used hypocrites prior to this and he'll go back to hypocrites but blind guides and blind guides uh, from the book of Matthew uh, here and other places but Blind guides, what's wrong with that? And we get the phrase, the blind leading the blind. The blind leading the blind. You, you look at this, a guide, a, a, a guide, uh, we had a funny, I, I can't get this story out of my mind, so I'll share it and we'll move on. Probably not all that helpful, but 
few uh, many years ago, we had a man who was uh, nearly completely deaf, nearly, com- but he was the sound guy. Uh, he was the sound guy at Bear Valley Church, and um, and I remember one of there's a man in the church. He was a contractor type, really rough guy, really rough guy, and he caught uh, Pastor Mike and myself out in the hallway here, and he just looks at Pastor Mike like this, and he goes, "Hey, bud, hey, bud." Why we got a deaf sound guy? Uh, if you're going to be a guide, what, what should you be able to do? See. See. Uh, you, you need to be able to lead, to see the path before. You need to be able to see it yourself. And so the idea of a blind guide is a bad deal. The blind leading the blind. Uh, the Jews didn't know. Uh, the, the common person looked to their spiritual leaders and said, show me the way. Show me the way. But Jesus looks at, uh, at these supposed spiritual leaders and he says, you blind guides. And then he brings up something for us that's probably uh, going to be hard for us to get. It's the longer section. and Let me try to get you through there. Uh, he, uh, he looks at them and he says, You blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Okay, so there's two different um, oaths you can make there. The first one is the temple itself. And the second one is the gold of the temple, okay? Just try to keep, stay with me. Hopefully this will make sense as I finish. Uh, so he, he says, he brings up these two different oaths, one of the temple, or one of the, yeah, one of the temple, and then one of the gold of the temple. Uh, down in verse 17, you blind fools. He brings it up again. Uh, For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Okay, so you have the temple and the gold is in the temple and they're distinguishing which is more holy or which is more sacred, uh, the temple or the gold. And they have chosen the gold uh, rather than the temple. As he goes on, he says this, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, now it's a different oath, right? Uh, Now we're swearing by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. Okay? And so really there's four, there's four different ideas of um, making oaths. And, and so you get the temple, the gold, the altar, the uh, gift on the altar. And you say, well, what is all this stuff? Well, um, to say it th- this way, first of all, you see this in the Jews' history. They're, they're always making oaths. They're, they're, it's the idea of making grand pronouncements. And for emphasis, they connect it to something. Um, in our culture today, not so much, but you swear upon something. You swear upon something. And uh, someone connected to a family member, the Bible, whatever. Uh, and and, and you've got to ask the question, what kind of person needs to swear or give an oath and say, I'm serious, I'm serious. Uh, it's someone 
who people don't trust his word. Uh, they are looking for emphasis. They're looking to say, no, I'm serious now. I, I wasn't, you know, maybe I talk and I'm not serious and all these other things, but, but now I'm serious. I'm Now I'm serious. And so um, as you look at this passage, one thing comes out is, especially the length of it, Jesus knows this, that they've become skilled at lying. And they're trying to make distinctions. So if it's just by the temple, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. But if it's by the gold of the temple, then you really have to mean what you're saying. Or, you know, if it's by the altar, if it's by the altar, then no big deal. No big deal. You know, if you can't come through, if you don't really, it's okay if you're just shooting your mouth off. If it was a, but if it was by the sacrifice on the altar, then we're in trouble. Then you have to come through. This is their thought. It's, they were skilled at lying. But Jesus is making this distinction. I, I want to tell you that, if we could just flip back real briefly to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I think there's two or three other passages. This is just one of them. That Jesus talks about this idea of making oaths. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 through 37, you see uh, Jesus talking about this idea of making oaths. What, what we should and shouldn't do. And he says this, Again you have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform of the Lord uh, what you have sworn. But I say, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, which is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for the city of the great king. And then uh, skipping down a couple of verses, verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. As you look back at our passage, you realize that Jesus has already talked about this. But this was such the fabric of the Pharisees' life and their system. Is that there was all these uh, little things that you can kind of lie if you say this, but this is kind of a big lie over here. But this is a smaller lie, and you can make these distinctions. And Jesus looked at that, and he goes, how come the spiritual leaders are skilled at lying and they have this whole structure of how you can lie and get away with it? That's bad. And so he brings about this declaration of woe and he looks at this whole system and he says, it's all garbage. In verse 20, he says this, he concludes this idea and he says, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears, verse 21, by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. That there's not this idea that you can distinguish one piece from another. It's all God's. And, and the passage, if you look back to Matthew, that we looked at Matthew chapter 5, we looked at what did he say? He says, not by heaven. God owns that, not by the earth, that's his footstool, right? Not by Jerusalem, city of the king. It's all his. And so this idea of swearing and, and trying for emphasis, he says, set all that aside. That's, you can't make those distinctions. And then in verse 22, this uh, sweet but important distinction for us. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God. 
and by him who sits upon it. Those last words, those last words I read, and who sits upon it. It's Jesus' message in the book of Matthew. He's the one who sits upon the throne. And as you speak, it's not about the people you're speaking to. It's about the one who listens to every conversation. The one who sits on the throne. Do you, do you understand this whole idea of I can kind of do this and kind of do that because this person won't know and won't figure it out? And that, that's no good. Why? Because there's one who sits on the throne. He heard, hears every conversation. Which brings us to the end this morning, and I just want to give you three things. And, and, and as we look at this, you can look at different passages and see a similar idea, but uh, what does Jesus think? What does Jesus think? As the Pharisees would have reflected, maybe hearing this either being back of the crowd or it getting back to them, what Jesus has said, uh, they could easily ask this question, what does Jesus think of my life? What does Jesus think of the way I'm living? How I'm uh, spending my time as I, the things that I prioritize. How, what does Jesus think of me? And these three questions could come for us. What does Jesus think about your entrance into heaven? What does Jesus think about your entrance into heaven? As you're sitting there this morning, some of you are going, oh no. Oh no. You could picture Jesus and you having a conversation next to a door. The door shut or the door closed. And Jesus uh, saying, you know, like, what about you and you having this conversation and how it goes back and forth? Many of you have heard these types of questions. Why should I let you in? And, and th that's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Because the answer is, uh, you can go one of two ways. You can talk about all the good things you've done, or you can acknowledge uh, all the bad that you have done. And it, it seems like you should tell Jesus all the good things you've done, right? That's what it seems like. You, it seems like you should argue that, except for the fact that he knows everything, right? And so I would choose the other way. I would choose the other way and say, I'm, I'm guilty. These are the things that I've done. And if there's not another way, if there's not another way, if you would not be enough for me and open that door for me, I won't be able to go. Pharisees missed it. The Pharisees missed it. May we not miss it. That our entrance into heaven is not on the basis of our good works, it's on what Jesus did on the cross and us confessing we are a sinner in need of a Savior. Second question. What does Jesus think about your message that you follow? That message. That message that you follow. That message that you cling to. That message that you share with your wife or your husband. That message that gets you through the day, that message that you're imparting to your children. What does Jesus think about your message? If it's anything other than 
his message. It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. And the ones you hand it to are, are, are doubly in trouble. Are doubly in trouble. Thirdly, what does Jesus think about the life that you have before him? Not what other people see. Not what uh, you get caught with or don't get caught with. What does he think of your life? I, I realize that for many of us that feels embarrassing and like, oh, he sees everything. And, but it should also be great, a great freedom. The God who loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus, they, they know everything. And so there's, the pressure's off. And he still loves you. He still loves you. And so what does he think about the life that you're, you're living, the life that you're living before him? Well, what are the changes that need to be made? How can we live in such a way where we say, I just want to do what you want me to do today. I, I, I've got different ideas and plans. I'm going to set those aside. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Acknowledging, Jesus, that you are the king. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for the message your son, of your son through your spirit. Uh, God, we um, ask that you would continue to do your work. If there are any here today that don't know you, uh, that maybe have playing, uh, been playing the works gospel way, uh, following in the footsteps of the Pharisees, God, I ask that you would do your work of repentance and grant repentance to them even today. God, thank you uh, for the message uh, from your word. Thank you for your son Jesus and his complete work on the cross. I pray this in his name.